This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Brooks Jensen, Anacortes, Washington. Master and Man by Leo Tolstoy. This book consists of ten sections. Section 1 It was in the seventies, the day after the feast of St. Nicholas in the winter. There had been a festival in the parish, and the church sexton, Vasily Andreevich Brukhanov, who was also a merchant of the Second Guild, had been forced to remain at home, since not only was his presence necessary at the church, but he had been receiving and entertaining some friends and relations. Now, however, the last of his guests had departed, and he was able to get himself ready to visit a neighboring landowner for the purpose of buying some timber for which he had long been in treaty. He was in a hurry to be off, lest rival buyers from the town should deprive him of this eligible bargain. The only reason why the young landowner had asked ten thousand roubles for the timber was that Vasily Andreevich had offered him seven, and seven represented about a third of its value. Perhaps Vasily might have gone on haggling still further, for the wood was in his own district, and there was a recognized agreement between the local merchants and himself that one merchant should not bid against another in the same district, were it not that he had heard that the government forest contractors were also thinking of coming to treat for the Goviachkinsky timber, and therefore he had better make up his mind to go at once and clinch the matter. So, as soon as the festival was over, he took seven hundred roubles of his own out of the strong box, added to them two thousand three hundred more out of the church funds, which he had by him, making three thousand in all, and counted them carefully. Then he placed them in his pocket-book and got ready to go. Nikita, the only one of Vasily's workmen who was not drunk that day, ran to put the horse in. Nikita was not drunk that day for the reason that he had formerly been a toper, but after pawning his jacket and leather boots for drinking during the flesh-eating days, had suddenly forsworn liquor altogether and drunk nothing during the second month. Even on the present occasion he had kept his vow, in spite of the temptation of the liquor which had flowed in all directions during the first two days of the festival. He was a moujik of about fifty, and hailed from a neighboring village, where, however, it was said that he was not a householder, but had lived most of his life among strangers. Everywhere he was valued for his handiness, industry, and strength, as well as, still more, for his kindly, cheerful disposition. Yet he had never remained long in any one place. Since twice a year or more he had been accustomed to get drunk, and at those times would not only pawn everything he possessed, but grow uproarious and quarrelsome as well. Vasily himself had dismissed him more than once, yet had always taken him on again because of the store which he set by his honesty, care for animals, and, most important of all, cheapness. In fact, Vasily allowed Nikita a wage, not of eighty roubles a year, the true market value of such a workman, but of forty only. 
Moreover, this wage was doled out irregularly and in driblets, as well as, for the most part, not in cash at all, but in the form of goods purchased at a high price from Vasily's own store. Nikita's wife, Martha, a rugged dame who had once been good-looking, lived at home with their little lad and two girls, but never invited her husband to come and see her, since, in the first place, she had lived for the last twenty years with a cooper, originally a moujik from a distant village who had come to lodge in the hut, and in the second, because although she could do what she liked with her husband when he was sober, she dreaded him like fire when he was drunk. Once, for instance, when drunk at home, he had seized the occasion to avenge himself upon his wife for all his submissiveness to her when sober, by breaking into her private box, possessing himself of her best clothes, laying all the gowns and other gewgaws upon the woodblock, and chopping them into shreds with an axe. Yet all his earnings were handed over to Martha. Never once had he disputed this arrangement. In fact, only a couple of days before the festival, she had driven over to Vasily's store and been supplied by him with white meal, tea, sugar, and a pint of vodka, to the value of three roubles, as well as with five roubles in cash, for all of which she thanked Vasily as for a particular favor, although, as a matter of fact, Vasily was in Nikita's debt to the extent of at least twenty roubles. "'What agreement need you and I make together?' Vasily had said to Nikita. "'Take what you need as you earn it. I don't do business as other folks do, keep my creditors waiting, and go in for detailed accounts and deductions and so on. You and I can trust one another. Only serve me well, and I shall never fail you.' In saying this, Vasily really had believed that he was being good to Nikita for he could speak so persuasively, and had always been so entirely supported in his decisions by his dependence from Nikita upwards, that even he himself had come to feel comfortably persuaded that he was not cheating them, but actually benefiting them. "'Yes, yes, I understand you, Vasily Andreitch,' Nikita had replied. "'I understand you perfectly well, and will serve and work for you as for my own father.' Nevertheless, Nikita had not been ignorant that Vasily was cheating him. He had only felt that it would be no use his trying to get a detailed account out of his master, and that, in default of another place to go to, he had better grin and bear it and take what he could get. So, when ordered to harness the horse, Nikita proceeded to the stable in his usual cheerful, good-natured manner, and with the usual easy stride of his rather waddling legs. There he took down from a peg the heavy headstall, and with its straps and tassels and rattling the bit against the side pieces, proceeded to the stall where the horse was standing, which he was ready to get. "'Oh, ho, so you find time long, do you, my little beauty?' he said, in reply to the low whinny of welcome which greeted him from the shapely, middle-sized, low-rumped, dark-brown stallion cob, which was the sole occupant of the loose-box." "'Nay, nay,' he went on, "'you are in a hurry to be off, I dare say, "'but I must water you first. "'He always spoke to the animal "'as one might speak to a being "'capable of understanding human speech. "'Then, having wiped the sleek, "'though dusty and harnessed, "'galled back of the cob with a cloth, "'he adjusted the headstall "'to the handsome young head, 
pulled the ears and forehead tuft through, let down the halter, and led the animal out to drink. As soon as Brownie had picked his way gingerly out of the dung-heaped stall, he grew lively and threw up his heels, pretending that he wanted to kick Nikita as the latter trotted behind him to the water trough. "'Quiet, then, quiet, then, you little rascal!' exclaimed Nikita, though well aware that Brownie was taking good care to throw out his hind leg in such a manner as to only graze Nikita's greasy fur coat, not strike it direct, a trick which Nikita always admired. Having drunk his fill of cold water, the animal snorted as he stood twitching his strong, wet lips, from the hairs of which the bright, transparent drops kept dripping back into the trough. Then he stood motionless for an instant or two, as though engaged in thought, and then suddenly gave a loud neigh. "'You don't want any more. You wouldn't get it even if you did, so you needn't ask for it,' said Nikita, explaining his conduct to Brownie with absolute gravity and precision. Then he set off running back to the stable, holding the spirited young cob by the halter as the animal kicked and snorted all across the yard. None of the other workmen were about, only the cook's husband, who had come over for the festival from another village. "'Go in, will you, my boy,' said Nikita to this man, "'and ask which sled I am to get ready, the big one or the little one.' The man disappeared into the house, which was iron-roofed, and stood upon a raised foundation, and returned in a moment with a message that it was the little sledge which was to be used. Meanwhile, Nikita slipped the collar over the cob's head and adjusted the brass-studded saddle-piece, and was now walking with a light-painted dugah in one hand and the end of the cob's halter in the other towards the two sledges standing beneath the shed. In a footnote, the translator explains the term dugah is a curved frame fitted with bells which surmounts the collar in a Russian harness. If the little sledge, then the little sledge, he remarked, and proceeded to back the clever little animal into the shafts, it pretending meanwhile to bite him, and with the other man's assistance to harness it to the vehicle. When all was ready and there remained only the reins to be put on, Nikita sent his assistant to the stable for some straw, and then to the storehouse for a sack. "'There now, that will do,' said Nikita, as he stuffed into the sledge the freshly cut oaten straw which the man had brought. "'But nay, nay,' he said to Brownie, "'you need not prick your ears like that. Well, suppose we put the straw so, and the sack on top of it. Then it will be comfortable for you to sit upon.' and he suited the action to the words by tucking the edges of the sack under the straw disposed around the seat. "'Thank you, my boy,' he added to the cook's husband. Two pairs of hand work quicker than one.' After that, he buckled the loose ends of the reins together, mounted the splashboard, and drove the good little steed, all impatient to be off, across the frozen dung of the yard to the entrance gates. "'Uncle McKeat!' "'Uncle McKeat!' came the shrill little voice of a seven-year-old boy from behind him as the youngster ran hastily out of the porch into the yard, a youngster who was dressed in a short jacket of black fur, new white bast shoes, and a cozy cap. "'Let me get up, too,' he implored, fastening his jacket as he ran. "'Well, well, come here, then, my dear,' said Nikita, pulling him up. 
Then, seating the master's pale, thin little son behind him, he drove the boy, beaming with pleasure, out into the street. It was now three o'clock in the afternoon, and freezing hard, the thermometer registering only ten degrees. Yet the weather was dull and gusty, and fully half the sky was covered by a low, dark bank of cloud. In the courtyard the air was still, but directly one stepped into the street outside, the wind became more noticeable, and the snow could be seen twirling itself about in wreaths as it was swept from the roof of a neighboring outbuilding into the corner near the bathhouse. Hardly had Nikita returned through the gates and turned the cob's head towards the steps when Vasily Andreitch, a cigarette between his lips and a sheepskin coat upon his shoulders, fastened tightly and low down with a belt, came out of the house door and upon the high, snow-trampled flight of steps, making them creak loudly under his felt boots as he did so. Drawing the last whiff from his cigarette, he threw down the fag-end and stamped it out. Then puffing the smoke out of his moustache, he glanced at the cob as it re-entered the gates, and began to turn out the corners of his coat-collar in such a way that the fur should be next to his face on either side. His face was clean-shaven except for the moustache, and yet not liable to be fouled with his breath. "'So you have managed it, you little monkey!' he exclaimed as he caught sight of his little boy seated in the sledge. Vasily was a little animated with the wine which he had been drinking with his guests, and therefore the more ready to approve of all that belonged to him and all that he had done in life. The aspect of his little son at that moment, of the little boy whom he intended to be his heir, afforded him the greatest satisfaction, as he stood blinking at him and grinning with his long teeth. In the porch behind Vasily stood his pale, thin wife, Vasilia Andreitcha. She was enciente, and had her head and shoulders muffled up in a woolen shawl, so that only her eyes were visible. "'Had not you better take Nikita with you?' she said, stepping timidly forward from the porch. Vasily returned her no answer, but merely frowned angrily, as though somehow displeased at her words, and spat upon the ground. "'You see you will be travelling with money on you,' she continued in the same anxious tone. "'Besides, the weather might grow worse.' "'Don't I know the road, then, that I must needs have a guide with me?' burst out Vasily with that unnatural stiffening of his lips which marked his intercourse with buyers and sellers when he was particularly desirous of enunciating each syllable distinctly. "'Yes, do take him, for heaven's sake, I implore you,' repeated his wife." as she shifted her shawl to protect the other side of her face. "'Goodness! Why, you stick to me like a bathing towel!' cried Vasily. "'Where can I find room for him on the sledge?' "'I am quite ready to go,' put in Nikita cheerfully. "'Only someone else must feed the other horses while I am away, this last to his mistress.' "'Yes, yes, I will see to that, Nikita,' she replied. "'I will tell Simon to do it.' "'Then I am to go with you, Vasily Andreitch,' said Nikita expectantly. "'Well, I suppose I must humor the good lady,' answered Vasily. "'Only if you go, you had better put on a rather better, not to say warmer, diplomatist's uniform than that.' And he smiled and winked one eye at Nikita's fur jacket, which, truth to tell, 
had holes under its two arms, down the back, and round the sides, besides being greasy, matted, shorn of hooks, and torn into strips around the edges. "'Here, my good fellow, come and hold the cob, will you?' shouted Nikita across the yard to the cook's husband. "'No, no, let me do it!' cried the little boy, drawing his small, red, frozen hands out of his pockets and catching hold of the chilly reins. "'Don't be too long over your new uniform, please,' said Vasily to Nikita with a grin. "'No, no, Vasily Andreitch, I shan't be a moment,' protested Nikita, as he went shuffling hurriedly off in his old felt boots towards the servants' quarters across the yard. "'Now then, my good Oroninshka, give me my halat from the stove. I am going with master,' shouted Nikita, as he burst into the hut and seized his belt from a peg." And here in a footnote, the translator describes a halat as a kind of frock coat. The cook, who had been enjoying a good sleep after dinner, and was now getting tea ready for her husband, greeted Nikita cheerfully, and, catching the infection of his haste, began to bustle about briskly as he himself. First she took from the stove a shabby but well-aired cloth halat, and set about shaking and smoothing it out with all possible speed. "'You are far more fit to go with Master than I am,' he said to the cook, in accordance with his usual habit of saying something civil to everyone with whom he came in contact. Then twisting about him the shabby, well-worn belt, he succeeded first in compressing his not over-prominent stomach, and then in drawing the belt with great effort over his fur coat. "'There you are,' he said, not to the cook, but to the belt, as he tucked its ends in. "'You can't very well burst apart like that.' "'Then, with a hoist and much heaving of the shoulders, "'he drew the cloth halot over all, "'stretching its back well to give looseness in the arms, "'and patted it into place under the armpits. "'Finally he took his mittens from a shelf. "'Now,' said he, "'I am all right.' "'But you have forgotten about your feet,' cried the cook. "'Those boots are awful.' "'Nikita stopped.' as if struck by this. "'Yes, perhaps I ought to change,' he began, but changed his mind, and exclaiming, "'No, he might go without me if I did. I have not far to walk,' bolted off into the yard. "'But won't you be cold in that halot only, Nikita?' said his mistress when he reached the sledge. "'No, indeed. How should I? It is very warm,' answered Nikita, as he disposed the straw over the forepart of the sledge in such a manner as would conceal his feet after he had mounted, and thrust the whip, not needed for so willing a steed, under the straw. Vasily had already taken his seat, his broad back with its double covering of furs, filling almost the entire rear part of the sledge. Then taking up the reins, he flicked the cob with them while Nikita jumped into the forepart of the sledge just as it started, and sat leaning forward to the left, and sticking out one leg. This ends part one.